Romans chapter 4, and last week we looked at Romans 3, 27 through 31, and, and uh, the idea, the truth here that Paul is excluding boasting. And, and our flesh hates that. Our flesh hates not being able to boast. We want to boast. And what Paul is, is getting at, and he and explained in Romans 3, 21 through 26, that there has been a righteousness Grace to us, offered to us apart from the law. Nothing that we can do on our own. And the hero of our rescue, if you will, is the one who is doing the rescuing. It's not about the one who is being rescued. The hero is the one, is the one who is doing the rescuing. And, and we also talked about our identity uh, being in Christ and, and seeing that primarily as, as the primary identity uh, about us, that we are Christians. We are Christians who are married. We are Christians who are single. We are Christians who are moms. We are Christians who are dads. We are Christians who work in this sector. We are Christians who go to this school. We are Christians who see, start with what unites us versus what divides us. Uh, allow the primary modifier of our lives, we said, to be our salvation, to be our identity in Christ. More than anything else, believers, we are believers. And that belief, that salvation is to guide and direct. More than anything else about you, your salvation is what guides and directs your life, what informs, what, what modifies every other aspect of your life. Not your maleness, not your femaleness, not your race, not your job title, not your education level. No, none of those other things primarily defines who you are. It's, it's in Christ. Start, start with what unites us. Uh, allow the gospel. That's why on our shirts, they, they, again, they say transformed, unified by the gospel. Our unity is in the gospel. There's lots of ways in this room this morning that we're divided, that we're different. And yet what unites us is the gospel. And even that brings a level of humility because, again, we can't boast in that. If we're going to boast, we're going to boast in Christ. And no matter where we look, try to look for our justification outside of Christ, it fails. We cannot be justified by God, forgiven of our sin, declared righteous through anything we do. And Paul, what Paul does is he state, stated that in verses 27 through 31. That was sort of the, the thesis statement, if you will. And, and over, the, over chapter 4, he's going to explain how this looks, and he's going to use specifically Abraham. He's going to mention David in verses 6 and 7, but chapter 4 of Romans is primarily about Abraham, and I'll explain to you why I believe he also mentions David here. But you'll see on your main point, again, the main point is dealing with boasting. It is crucifying our desire to boast, our ability to boast. All right, and the main point, God justifies the one who does not work, but instead believes, believes is the word there, in the promises of God. And that faith is credited, that is the means through which righteousness is credited to your account. That belief, that faith. And what Paul does in verses 1 through 8, and really the end of the chapter, but we're going to break it up in sections because he uses Abraham and he deals with this and looks at specific things to contrast to show us. But in verses 1 through 8, 
he specifically makes this point that I want to look at today, and he forms really the foundation of really a word that's gonna, that, that really informs almost all of Romans, but specifically chapter 4. And so I'm going to look at verses 1 through 8 today and, and glean these truths that God justifies the one who does not work but rather believes. What does that mean? Because people get all kinds of sorts of sideways when you read there, God credits righteousness to the one who doesn't work but believes. What does that mean? And so I want to break that down today. And you'll see on your handout, the first point. Here it is, God credits. The word there is credits. God credits Righteousness through faith apart from a person's works and regardless of their depth of sin. He credits righteousness apart from works regardless of the depth of sin. And we're going to begin in verses 4 and 5 today because that really is the main point that informs the rest of these verses. And so I want to make sure that we get that first. We're going to handle it out of, out of order because, again, look at verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Paul here in verse 5 makes one of, the most out, most, one of the most astounding, one of the most picked apart statements in all the Bible. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. The, that's really what we have to unpack here and, and, and grasp. Again, people get all kinds of sideways when it comes to Paul writing to the one who does not work but believes in him. What, what does it mean to not work? What does it mean to simply believe in him and that belief be the means that your righteousness is credited? The, the, word, the key word here and the reason why it's your fill-in is the word credit. That's what we've got to understand here, the word credit. It is, an, it is an immensely important word, not only in chapter 4 of Romans, but really all of Paul's writings. And, and think about this. The word credited is used 40 times in all of the New Testament. So if you take all the 20, what is it, 29, 27 books of the Old Testament, take those, it's used 40 times. All right? 34 of those usages are by Paul. So out of the 40 times that the word credit appears, the Greek word there, 34 of those are by Paul. All right, so clearly this is a main emphasis of Paul's theology. Of those 34 times, 19 of those usages are in Romans. What does that tell you a main emphasis of the book of Romans is? The idea of crediting righteousness. Huge theme. Listen, of those 19 usages of Paul and Romans of the word credit, 11 of those 19 occur in chapter 4. What does that tell you the emphasis of chapter 4 of Romans is? How someone is credited righteousness. How, a, how God, again, can be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. Paul is explaining here in chapter 4 how God can rightly credit righteousness. 
it's, it's an immensely important aspect of Paul's theology, and he builds it in chapter 4. If we're going to grasp not only chapter 4, if we're going to grasp the letter to the Romans, we need to know what this word means. And so I, I want to start out. That's why I'm starting out with verse with verse 4, so that that will inform the rest of our, re, of our, of our understanding of verses 1 through 8. And here it is. You see it on a handout. Credited, the word credited is an accounting term. Okay, it's an accounting term. And it means that God gives to a person a righteousness that did not inherently belong to him. Literally, literally it would be like today if I went to the bank and I deposited $10,000 into your account. I just went randomly and said, you know what? I like them. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm nothing about them that earned it, warranted, whatever. I'm just going to show how great a guy I am. I'm going to go give you 10000 Alex is shaking her head like that'd be a good day. You got volunteers? Tim says, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Okay, what would the bank do? The bank in the, in the credit column, in the good guy column of our ledger, we, 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 the bad guy is the debit column, all right? The good guy is the credit column. They then would take $10,000 and they would put it into your account, right? On the good guy's side of the ledger. They would give you, t- did you earn it? Did you merit it? Did you warrant it? Did you do anything for it? None. But does the bank count it as if it's yours? 100%. It's yours. Listen, does it affect how you live the rest of your life now that that 10,000 good guy is in the credit column? It better. Some of you, Mother's Day just changed big time. You see the point? You see the language he's using? We, we read in these verses, again, the struggle that we have with that is we live in a world that wants to earn or merit or deserve everything. We're not very good at giving grace. We're not good at receiving grace. We're not good at grasping grace. Everything wants, if, if, if I did that to you, I promise you, you would want to do something to pay me back in some way, shape, or form. You'd struggle. You would struggle receiving that. And, and, and we, we struggle with this whole idea of God crediting our righteousness. Even Abraham, we've been taught to believe, and, 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 and Jewish children who would have read this would have been taught to believe that there was something, specifically Genesis 22, it could be the leaving of Ur and going to a land that he was told later, but specifically Genesis 22, we think that that is what got Abraham his righteousness, the offering, the willingness to offer Isaac. And that is specifically why Paul does what he does here. Oh, because Abraham did this, therefore God must do something in return. And and the word it there in verse 5, his faith is... Some translations say it is credited as righteousness, but mine says his faith is credited as righteousness. What he means is this, he's not saying that, what he's saying is that that his faith was the means through in which God credited that. It wasn't a work. You see it on your handout. What Paul teaches here is that faith is not a work, but the means by which we lay hold of God's promise. It's not a work. 
It's, it's a means through which you lay hold of it. You, you believe it's there. If I told you I did that, and I, and, and I said, look, again, or the illustration, don't go to the bank, don't see it, just go and, hey, if I said, look, I put this money here, you go live like it's there. You go spend like it's there. Don't go to the bank, don't ask your bank, no, no, don't, don't see it, just go live like it's there. That would be faith, right? You're having to believe me that it's there. Apart from works. That's what Paul is saying. Faith is the means through which God credited that righteousness. This is why Paul uses the analogy in verse 4. The one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. Listen, you earn a wage. A wage is obliged. It's not grace. Wages are not gifts. Wages are given apart from grace, totally separate. And you see what Paul says, in contrast to the one who works for a wage, to the one who believes, God credits righteousness. You see how verses 4 and 5 go together? In contrast to the working, the, the difference is to the one who doesn't work to try to earn it, but simply believes. Believes. And, and Abraham's faith, again, it's the opposite of working to earn it. Abraham's faith was simply that Abraham believed God's promise that one day there would be an heir, a seed, through his line, who through all the world would be, would be blessed. God promised a Savior through Abraham's line, and Abraham believed that. That one day there would come a Savior who would be the substitute, would offer his life, he would be the substitution for all the sins of the world. That, that, that the sin that demanded death, the penalty that demanded death, God one day would provide the substitute, the sacrifice, that one day would pay the sin, sins of the whole world. That through that one substitute sacrifice, anyone who is sinful, which is all people, could be forgiven. This is verse 25. Look up at 25. This is what he believed of, of chapter 3 whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. That's Abraham. But Abraham believed that one day God would provide that sacrifice. Abraham simply believed a promise. And, and, and again, what is essential here is the truth that, again, a person's relationship with God is through faith in the Word of God. And, and you think that's a simple thing, that that goes without saying, listen, churches all over today, popular churches, pastors that you know well are saying, churches need to stop saying, thus says the Word of God. And they do not need to build their theology and their stance on the Word of God alone. Popular churches today. And yet, ironically, the writers of the scripture, you know what they built their, you know what they built their theology on? The word of God. And, and again, what Abraham believed the word of God. 
Again, the gift of God's righteousness, it was not a wage, otherwise it would not be grace. It was response, it was not a response to anything that we do or, or that we manage not to do to where God owes us. And, and, and again, there is a, even in this room today, if, if at least hints of it in all of our lives. Um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day who they had done this deed. And I think Karen had actually talked to him as well. They had done this deed and they said this very thing. Well, hopefully it gets me some points with the, with the big man upstairs. Listen, that theology is alive and well. I would bet that theology is alive and well even in this room. I, I, I would bet all of us in this have battled at least hints of that theology, of thinking that we have done something to put God in a position where he owes us something. Bartering with God. I promise you every single one of us in here have battled to some degree with that theology. And, and it impacts how we see grace. It impacts how we live the Christian life. And you see it on your handout. Most people battle the false belief that says this, God's acceptance of me is dependent, the word is dependent, upon my obedience to Him. Somehow it's tied to my obedience. That the relationship is, is tied to my obedience. Again, you, you see these shirts. I, again, I got a lot of silly pet peeves, and I notice as I get older by the moment, I have more silly things. But, you know, you see these shirts, hashtag blessed. My question is this, why are you blessed? Did you earn it? You deserve it. It matters. Most of, us, most of us battle, at least in some inkling of our theology, we battle seeing God's grace as a reward for our obedience, at least on some level. At least on some level. And what I'm dealing with here is primarily with regards to the, the status of our, of our being before God, as Daniel and his team sang about this morning, specifically with regards to, to our adoption with our salvation. And the problem is this, that it crushes the very thing God's grace through credited righteousness was meant to produce in us. If I earned it, if I merited it, if I deserved it, here's what it crushes, gratitude and humility. It crushes it. The very thing that God's grace was meant to create in us, if we're not careful, our wrong theology, it crushes it. Why? Because I deserved it. At least on some level. And, and again, why does Scripture over and over again talk about humility as a primary attitude of the believer? Why does it talk about not boasting? Go to 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 2, even here. Why? Because we're prone to boast. And when we boast, we're destroying grace. And when, when, we, when we work to earn or to merit God's favor, it crushes a love for God. It crushes a love for others. Why? Because I earned it. I dare say that attitude prohibits the growth of love for God and a love for others. 
Therefore, it doesn't fulfill the law like we saw last week. And here's why. When, when we live thinking that our acceptance before God is, is based upon our obedience, when we do things, when we obey, who is it that we're actually thinking about? Ourselves. Ourselves. And interestingly enough, 1 Corinthians 13, one of the characteristics of true love is that it does not seek its own. So, so, so we've worked out this system even in our own minds with, with, again, works doesn't produce this because the motive behind everything that I do, it could be reading the Bible, it could be coming to church, it could be loving my wife, it could be doing anything. The real motive behind what you're doing is to make God be in a position where he owes you something. To earn something. Again, that's not, it's not done out of love. If I do something for you, so then in order for you to do something for me, who am I really thinking about? Not primarily thinking about you. And, and again, our lives cease to be lived to the glory of God. Our lives cease to be lived to the good of others. Again, not that that can't happen accidentally because God is just that gracious. I mean, you see in Philippians 1, Paul said, to be sure people preach Christ out of selfish motives, but he said, hey, who cares as long as Christ is preached? You see the humility there? These people were attacking Paul, were lying about Paul, and Paul said, listen, they can lie about me as long as they're preaching the gospel. Again, the challenge behind this is this. We can live our lives doing all the right things for the wrong motives, for the wrong reasons. Not to the glory of God. And again, when we live like that, the rule, who or what really rules our lives is self. It's not the glory of God. It's not gratitude. It's not humility. It's self. And you see it on your handout. Paul teaches us the glorious truth that here it is, our acceptance with God is through faith and the work of Christ and its sufficiency alone. Acceptance. That's faith. That's what Paul is dealing with. Trusting completely in the work of Christ as being sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins. Therefore, I don't work for the forgiveness of my sins. I don't work to be adopted by God. I don't perform for God to put on this show so that he'll, so that he'll accept me. And again, I thought about this illustration. And all illustrations break down at some point, so, so forgive me. But, but imagine this. Imagine you're, you're drowning in the rapids. And, and a guide, the guide tells you, stop flailing around and simply float on top of the water. With your feet downstream, just float. Stop flailing around and float. What are you going to do? Seems kind of counterintuitive. Until you do it and it works. If you trust him, if you trust the guide, you'll obey him. You'll do what he says. You'll simply trust what he says is right. You'll trust what he says is right. And you'll, you'll stop flailing and you'll simply float. But think about this. Think about this. Suppose you did that and you survived. When you get in the boat, 
would you brag? Hey, it's a really good thing I did what you said I'd do. It's a really good thing. It's really, you know what, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be alive today. You know, if I hadn't have grabbed that rescue, if I hadn't have grabbed that floaty, I wouldn't be in the boat today. Well, you see how, I mean, like, if, if, if I was walking along the beach and somebody was drowning and I swam out and rescued them and they got on the beach and they started bragging about anything, what would you think about that person? Not good thoughts. Not thoughts you could say in here, probably. That, that's what Paul's getting at. God gets the glory for our rescue. You know, faith is stop flailing around and rest in Christ. It's stop trying to do things to earn God's favor and simply rest in Christ, in His sufficiency. That's faith. That's what Paul is talking about to the one who doesn't work. We're resting in the promise of God. We're believing simply the promises of God. And that's what Paul means here. We don't work. What he's saying is we don't work as a means of meriting righteousness or forgiveness. When it comes to being credited righteousness, when it comes to being forgiven, we don't work but rather believe. We believe in the promise of God. And you see it on your handout. What Paul teaches is that we do not depend on our works for our standing before God. It is by grace. Again, in Christ, a person is given a new status. They go from, they go from enemy to adopted son. And, and again, they're renouncing any claim upon God through their works. And what he's saying is we can't take credit for that. Our relationship to God is by grace through faith, not by works. And you see it in your handout to be clear here. To be sure, obedience in the Christian life matters, but our obedience affects our fellowship with God, not our standing before God. You're a child. For as many as believed in Jesus Christ, He gave them the right to be called children of God. How I live my life Again, faith may be the issue, don't get me wrong, but how I live my life becomes a fellowship issue. That's what 1 John is all about. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and forgive us of all unrighteousness. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. 1 John, he's talking about fellowship. It's like, it's like if, I, if I was unfaithful as a husband, it... Karen could still be married to me, but the fellowship of that marriage has been affected, right? The status, I'm still married. It's a fellowship issue. So, so Paul is not at all, and Paul will deal with this in Romans 6, because people immediately said, oh, well then, if grace abounds or sin abounds, then we'll just go live like crazy people and, and just show off the grace of God. And Paul says, by no means. Grace is not a license to do how, live however you want to live. What Paul is dealing with here is if you really understand grace, if you really understand the gospel, you'll live a different way by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. But what he's dealing with here is the status. He's dealing with your status before God. And again, even your faith is, you know, Again, even your faith is grace. You look at Acts 16, 14, it says, talking about Lydia, and she was a, a righteous, a, a religious, rather, religious person. And in Acts 16, 14, 
Paul shares the gospel with her and it says, And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. Who gets, who's the hero here? Not Lydia. Not Lydia. That, that's what Paul is trying to get at here. Crushing our boasting. Oh, I figured God out. I weighed the options. And, no, 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 no. No, no. But again, that's part of our pride. We love to boast. And, and you see there on your handout some summary, just some summary truths here with regards to it. God gifts, he gifts justification apart from works. Grasp that. But secondly, God's justification of sinners is not earned. It's freely given. Freely given. And why does Paul make this point over and over? Look over with me at Romans 4, verses 23 and 24. This is the beauty of the word. You know, human nature hasn't changed. Our battles haven't changed in a, in a sense. Look at verse 23 and 24. Now, not, He says, Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. What's Paul saying? Why, why is Paul dealing with this? Why is Paul battling this whole point? Why is he hammering this point home? Because this wasn't only an issue then, this was an issue today, and this is written so we would understand it even today. Those things are written for your sake. The, one gospel for all time. That's what Paul is saying. And, and that's the beauty of the word, not just for Abraham's sake, but for our sake. To teach you and I today, because we struggle with finding our acceptance before God based on what we do. Listen. Obedience matters. But not with regards to status. Sarah Grace and Bradley will be our two children forever, regardless of how they live the rest of their life, right? They, the Cordovas adopted Chloe. Others have adopted in here. Regardless of what Chloe does the rest of your life, at that hearing the other day, the Harveys, you guys... Um, you guys adopted. What did that judge say? You do understand that one of the clearest things, and I love going to those things because it's a clear understanding of the gospel. Here's what they say. That baby may be real cute today, but she may not grow up to be so cute. And you do understand that what you're doing today affects what? The rest of her life. She will forever, ever, ever be your child. That's what I'm getting at. She didn't earn it. She didn't perform it. You didn't say, let me see your SAT scores. Let me see your, you're going to get into college. Let me see how much you're going to be, you know, come on. It's grace. She's not going to grow up bragging about it. Oh, you know what I did? Oh, I'm just so cute. That's why they did this. No. She is cute, but don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say she's not cute. You see, that's the point. We're talking about status here. How you live your life is going to affect the fellowship you have with God for sure. But your status is credited through faith. 
And in Christ, the promise that we're believing is this. I can be fully accepted in Christ. A once and for all status change before God through Christ. Orphaned to adopted. And I think many of us could just... It would be a blessing just to walk out of here today understanding just that truth. To stop living this up and down Christian life that... I didn't get a chance, I, 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 I didn't read my Bible today, God must be so angry at me. Come on. Would he have rather spent time with you? Yeah, but stop this up and down Christianity stuff. Your obedience matters for sure, but your status is secure. Understand, again, Ephesians 3, Paul said, of all the things Paul could have said, Paul said this, understand, I pray that you would understand the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of what? God's love for you. See how great a love the Father has lavished upon you that you should be what? Children of God. Why does the Bible use those terms? Because they mean something. There's permanency there. That's what Paul is hammering here. To the one who doesn't work but believes in him. And, and that takes us back to verses 1 through 3 where we continue to build this point because Paul uses Abraham, even Abraham, as example. There's your point number two. Even Abraham was credited righteousness apart from his works and in spite of his sin. For what shall we say then? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Listen, but not before God. Listen. You might have something to boast about in your life. That's fine, but not before God. Again, Abraham, that cool stuff. But God, Paul immediately uses Abraham as an illustration of verses 27 through 31. Even Abraham couldn't boast. And, 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 and again, Paul doesn't deny that Abraham has works. No person could deny that. But that's Paul's point. Even the great Abraham could not boast in his works. That's the point. As a source of his relationship with God. He didn't make a claim on God through his works. And what Paul shows in verse 3, again, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see it on your hand out. What Paul shows in Romans 4, 3 is that the reckoning of Abraham's faith as righteousness is an entirely gracious act. It's grace. And, and Paul specifically uses Abraham because that would have had a huge impact on his readers, specifically that Jewish audience. And, and that's what I want, I, I want to try to pick this apart real quickly. You know, it, it would have been one thing, I, I was thinking about this today. It would have been one thing if he says, Ananias and Sapphira could not boast. You'd be like, exactly, that's why they got burnt up. Judas couldn't boast. I don't know. You know, then you get into the whole argument of whether he was saved or not. I talked to Tom. Tom's, Tom's writing a book on that. You know, there's people in the Bible that you'd have thrown out there like Jezebel. Jezebel couldn't boast. Exactly, exactly. Abraham? But that's Paul's point. And, and again, in Jewish writings, understand this. Let me read some of the thoughts, again, what Jews thought about Abraham, the Jewish people, in their writings. 
Abraham was perfect in all his deeds and with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Another, another part of their writing says, Abraham did not sin against God. Another one says, no one has been found like Abraham in glory. Abraham was held up. Again, what do you find? That Abraham was felt, held up as a model of obedience to God. Clearly, there was a link to Abraham's righteousness, his status before God with his doing, how he lived. And, and that's exactly why Paul uses that here, I would argue, that that is unbiblical. Even the great Abraham, go all the way back to the beginning, your father, if you will, with regards to the flesh. You think he was perfect. Abraham did not earn his righteousness before God. And he makes his point by quoting the Old Testament. What Paul quotes there in chapter 4, verse 3, is Genesis 15. And, and here's an interesting point to note. That in Genesis 15, 6, that is the first time in the Bible that the word believe occurs. And interestingly enough, it, 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 the very first time you see that word, it's connected to what? Righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited as righteousness. So right from the get-go, right from the start in the Bible, belief and righteousness are connected. And, and this is Paul's point. And, and what happens is many people interpret Genesis 15 in light of Abraham leaving Ur, or in light of Genesis 22, where Abraham offered Isaac. And, and what Paul does is go way before that to say way before those things happened, even in Galatians, you see 430 years before the law, Abraham was credited with being righteous. How? Through his faith. His faith. It wasn't because God owed him something. And, and you see it in the handout. Paul shows that the gift of righteousness was graced before his circumcision or obedience to any law. And that's on purpose. Why? Because we'll get to it in the next section so that Abraham could rightly be the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. God did that on purpose. And again, here's something important to note as well about faith. Abraham believed God. Abraham's faith was not a general belief in God. It wasn't even a belief in the general character of God. Abraham's faith was in a specific promise Given by God. There's a difference. It wasn't, oh, I believe in God. No, no. Abraham believed a specific promise with regards to the Messiah. It's huge. I, I talk to a lot of people who believe in God. I like to say when they say that, well, tell me about the God you believe in. Even when someone says, well, I don't believe in God, here's my question. Well, tell me about the God you don't believe in, because I probably don't believe in that God either. Not some general belief in God. Abraham believed a specific promise with regards to the Messiah. And that was credited, again, through that faith, that was the means that he credited him righteousness. And again, Paul uses Abraham to contrast faith and the law as means of righteousness. It was faith and a promise versus doing something that warranted Abraham's righteousness. 
and you see it on your handout, Paul holds up Abraham as a model of faith and not works. And this is his whole point. Not even Abraham, not even the great Abraham could boast. And that would have been a huge statement for Paul to make. Highly regarded. And what Paul is combating, you see it there on your handout, the idea that Abraham's works merited him favor with God. And at the same time, he's showing that this is in line with the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Everything flowed from faith. And again, the great Abraham could not claim make a claim on God. And secondly, he, he uses David here in verses 6 through 8. Even David was not credited righteousness based upon his works. And, and it's very debated why, why does David show up in a chapter focused on Abraham. And, and the old, most, many people believe it's this, that the Old Testament required two witnesses to establish a fact. All right, And so Paul offers Abraham and David. It's also very interesting, though, a perspective. Go up to verse 21 of chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by what? The law and the prophets. Think with me verse 2. The use of Abraham, guess where he shows up in the writings of the law? The use of David, guess where David shows up? In the prophets. You see what Paul's doing here? He's backing up his claim that, listen, this righteousness apart from the law is witnessed in the law and the prophets. Oh, by the way, let me show you how. Abraham and David. This is not some new theology. Two witnesses, that's exactly what you need for it to be, to be validated. And by the way, the law and the prophets both, both testify to this. But, but again, right behind Abraham in their history was David, the great warrior, the great king. And yet, and yet, there, there's contrast because clearly, listen, clearly David sinned, right? Listen, clearly he sinned. Right, one could argue, and they, people do this, one could argue that Abraham, you, you know, that when you say Abraham didn't sin, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know what book you're reading. You know, lied about his sister, Hagar. But, but again, people would argue, and people do argue, that those were cultural issues. That if you understood the culture, that those weren't quite as, quite as gross as they would be today. Listen, there's no argument with David. You're not contextualizing adultery. You're not contextualizing murder. Again, David himself didn't try to get away from that. Go to Psalm 51. Clearly, David fell short. How could God forgive that person? How could Nathan say to David, your sins have been forgiven because God credits righteousness through faith, not by works? And again, David even becomes the model of what forgiveness looks like. David becomes the model of what it looks like for God not to count someone's sins against them. Faith. Faith. I mean, imagine for a moment, just for a second, 
Imagine Uriah's mom hears that statement. Hey, David, God has not counted your sins against you. What? Ho, 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 he killed my son. How are you going to do that? God, how are you going to be just and the justifier? I'm going to crucify my son. I'm going to deal with David's sins through a substitute. Oh, I'm going to deal with his sins. And that's exactly what, again, that's exactly what Paul has just said in 3 through 3, 21 through 26. How can God be just in the justifier? How could God pass over the, even David's sins of murder and adultery? Because Jesus would pay the price. Again, go to Psalm 51. Here in, this, here in verses 7, through eight, 7 and 8, Paul quotes Psalm 32. And, and why does he do that? Because even in the Psalms, look at what it says, verse 7 and 8. See if you can, again, pick out the word that matters. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Here he goes. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into what? Account. There's that word. There's that word. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will not keep in that credit column. How can God do that? Christ. Christ. How can God rightly forgive even a murderer and adulterer and still be righteous? Christ. And listen, the picture of Psalm, that Psalm 32 is someone weighed down by sin and guilt. And, and, and here it is. It's a picture of God assuring somebody of forgiveness. There's some in this room that need that this morning. They need to be assured of God's forgiveness. They need to be assured of what Paul will deal with in Romans 5.20, where he says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And again, whether you're Abraham or whether you're David, it's not by boasting. It's faith. And you see it on your handout. Paul shows in Romans 4, 6 that the reckoning of David's faith for righteousness is, again, same as Abraham, a gracious act. Verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And again, it says there, our sins have been covered. Notice what it doesn't say. Blessed is the man whose sins have been, who they worked off their own sins. Blessed is the man who did enough to make up for his sins. Blessed is the man who did a lot of penance to balance out the guilt of his sins. You know what it says there? It says they've been covered. Gracious act. Immediately. Again, Israel's greats did not earn their salvation. It was credited to them. And you and I know different. You and I have sins that need to be covered with the blood of Jesus, a substitute righteousness. And how does that happen? Faith. Faith. Romans 4.8, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And Paul's point is to drive everybody to that point. Why? Because then you can declare what is declared in Romans 8.1, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Before there was condemnation due to your sin, but now no condemnation. How, is the, how can you justly forgive sinners, God? Christ. 
How can you be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ? Christ, he did what the law demanded. He obeyed the law perfectly, and he died in the place of sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, the godly for the ungodly. Substitute. And that grace ought to amaze us. That, that God freely justifies the ungodly. I mean, build your life on that grace. Cling to that grace. Again, you see it in your hand. That becoming a Christian is first and foremost a change of status. Grasp that. You're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old is gone. New has come. That judge signed that, signed that certificate the other, a couple Fridays ago, and Zaley was in, had an entirely new family, just like that. Just like that. Apart from nothing she did. And, and, and again, go back with me real quick to verse 5 just to see this. I'll give us some quick closing truths here. Just the, the justification being faith alone. Again, look at what it says here, and you see on your handout. Think about these things. But to the one who does not work, the fill in there is work. The one who, to the one, justification by faith is to the one who does not work. We're not blending grace and works. We're not doing half and half. Listen, if you feel bad about your sins and you think you can just get them under control so that God will accept you, listen, you have not ceased working for your forgiveness. You don't understand grace. If you think, oh, if I just become a missionary and I go live and work in the slums and I'll deprive myself of these comforts and I'll do this, that, he'll get... Listen, you haven't ceased working for your forgiveness. You haven't grasped grace. If God calls you to do that, that's great, but that ain't earning your salvation. To the one who does not work, stop working and believe. And secondly, look what it says. To in him who justifies the ungodly. In salvation, God is justifying the ungodly. That's you and me. You want to talk about ruining our boasting? But, but we don't want to see ourselves that way. If we were to writing this, it would be like God is justifying good people. He's justifying more or less good people. But Paul says, no, no, he's justifying the ungodly. Unrighteous. And again, when, when Jesus saved you, by grace through faith, you were ungodly. Godly works, again, they don't, they don't have a role in our life until we're saved. God saved us to good works. He didn't save us through good works. He saved us that we would be able to do good works by His power in the Spirit. Ungodly. And, and, and thirdly, faith is credited. It says His faith is credited as righteousness. Again, faith is totally leaning on Christ's sufficiency. Totally leaning and praising Him for what He has done. And until we grasp that, we won't worship rightly, we won't be humble, we won't love rightly. 
And, and, and what we've got to realize as we close is this. Right now, at this very moment, every single person sits on the brink of hell. Not, not, as, a, not as a self-imposed condition. Not, not, as, something they, not as something they've brought upon, they, they've determined themselves. They sit there because a righteous God has said, if you do not repent... You can have righteousness through Christ or you spend eternity in hell. Even there, God is just. God is the one imposing the sentence. Please hear me. He is the one imposing the sentence. But he's also the one who's thrown the lifeline. He's also the one who's created a way where there seems to be no way. And in our minds, we say, well, it has to be God's sovereignty or man's responsibility. It has to be this, it has to be that. No, 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 listen to me. Is God sovereign? Yes. Are men responsible? Yes. Leave them alone. You say it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. Listen, God has made a way where there seems to be no way. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. Oh, well, that must mean that they were ordained. I, who, who, you worried about the wrong thing. Our job is to preach the gospel. Our job is Romans 10 is to be the beautiful feet on whom the gospel goes to a lost world. We preach the gospel. We do our job. God does his job, right? I don't always honor our works, but I do know this. Where Christ is preached, people repent. And as many who will call out upon the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. And for us in this room today, rely on Christ. Find, find the sufficiency in Christ. Look to Christ. Trust the promise of Christ. The number one issue for all of us is this. How will we escape the wrath of God? How can you be made right with God? By trusting the promise of Christ. Same for you, same for your neighbors, same for your schoolmates, same for your co-workers, whatever. Trusting in Christ. Abraham believed God. No matter what you've done, no matter what we know you've done or think you've done or don't know you've done, you can be forgiven today. That's the beauty of Christ's sufficiency. You, your, though your sins were scarlet, they can be washed white as snow. That's the good news we get to preach. By believing the promise of Christ. I, I pray that we would be a people that make much of Christ, that we would not boast, that we would understand the sufficiency of Christ, that we would not boast even for one second for anything that God has done. And, and I pray that that would pervade this place in our lives with a spirit of humility and gratitude and love.